Hello there, this is Galen Nuttall, the host of A Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This episode requires a specific special introduction as it is me interviewing Gretchen Rubin, the amazing author of many books. And today we're going to talk a lot about her book, The Four Tendencies. So if you don't know Gretchen Rubin, she's a multiple New York Times bestselling author who writes a lot about habits and happiness. And her book, The Four Tendencies, was a gift from my sister, who's an amazing gift giver. Actually, it's a signed copy when she met her in New York. And this book has influenced my life in a way that not many other things have. So this book is all about how people respond to external expectations and internal expectations. And so please head on over to her quiz and take it before you listen to the episode. You'll probably get more out of it if you do. And the quiz is one of the first things I encourage people to do as part of my financial literacy challenge. If you haven't joined that yet, please hop on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N. That's how my name is spelled. Helpsdocs.com. You get access to the 11 modules where I really help, you know, explain everything I've learned about financial planning for Canadian physicians over the last many years. There's a downloadable workbook that you can either fill out on your computer or you can download it, print it, and use it that way. And if you get to the end, you get a free gift. So be sure to check that out. Now, in this episode, uh, another side note around this episode is that I had recorded it for another podcast I used to have called the Side Hustle Army podcast, where I would help entrepreneurs and other people work on their side hustles, build sales funnels online, start podcasts, really cool things like that. And if you are a physician thinking about starting a podcast, um, I encourage you to do so. If if, if it's something that you are interested in doing, it's a lot easier than it seems. I've started a couple now. I know all about how to start them and continue them. It's a lot of fun and it can be a really great experience for the right person. So check out this episode and enjoy. First off, Gretchen, thank you so much for being here on my podcast. I'm very excited to talk about the work you've done around uh, the four tendencies in particular, but obviously you've done uh, written other books too, but I find that particularly compelling. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, Gretchen Rubin wrote, uh, you've written several books, uh, one of which is The Four Tendencies. I'll hold it up. And the other one is The Happiness Project. And you've written other books as well, Four Tendencies. So I was going to talk a lot about that. I've, I've posted on my Facebook group, you know, on my page, people are chiming in on their tendencies and a few people with questions there. Uh, but maybe uh, just in case anyone doesn't know, like what are the four tendencies and how did you come to sort of discover these tendencies? Um, well, I came to the four tendencies in a very inconspicuous moment. I was having lunch with a friend and at this time I was writing my book better than before, which is all about how to make and break habits. So I was like relentlessly quizzing all my friends about their habits And she said something that just struck me like a bolt of lightning. She said, I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, why? I mean, you could think of a lot of reasons maybe why, but I was like, well, why is it that at one time this behavior was effortless and now she's really struggling? So I thought about that and I thought about a lot of other patterns that I was starting to notice about habit formation. For instance, if you ask people about New Year's resolutions, which again, I was constantly asking people about how they felt about New Year's resolutions, a certain number of people will say something like, I'll keep a resolution whenever it makes sense to me, but I wouldn't do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And I thought, well, that's funny because the arbitrariness It's clearly like a deal breaker for these folks, but it never really, I never really thought about it myself. So what's going on? So anyway, I was trying to figure out these patterns, all these patterns. I didn't know what fit together. It was like melting my brain. And then one day I was sitting at this very desk where I'm sitting right now. And it like flashed out at me, the idea expectation. And I realized that what is going on 
has to do with expectations, which sounds very dry, um, but is actually quite fascinating and important. So we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or request from a friend and inner expectations like your desire to keep a New Year's resolution, your desire to get back into meditation. So depending on how you respond to outer and inner, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the nearest resolution without much fuss. They want to do what other people expect for them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, ineffective, unjustified. They're always asking why. If something meets their inner standard, they'll do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Like my friend on the track team, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble going, but when she was trying to go on her own, she struggled. So the secret for obligers is when they want to meet an inner expectation, they must create a form of outer accountability. Want to read more? Join a book group. Want to exercise more? Take a class, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who'll be annoyed if you don't show up, raise money for a charity, think of your duty to be a role model. There's a lot of ways to create outer accountability once you realize that that's what you need as an obliger. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically, they don't like to tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for the 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday because they think, I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea that someone's expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. So those are the four tendencies. Very cool. Very cool. And I was, and before we went live, I said, you know, anyone who's listening to this recorded, please pause, go take yes. the quiz and come back because we're going to get into all sorts of insight on the different types of tendencies and, you know, how to work with people with different tendencies and all that. So I just want to make sure I give everyone the best link. What's the best place to take the quiz? If you go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com, um, it'll take you right there. It's a free quick quiz. It's only like 11 questions. 3 million people have taken this quiz now. So um, perfect. Yeah. So definitely take the quiz. If you're, if you're, if you're here live, keep listening. <laughs> Most people <laughs> can tell what they are just from the description, but yeah. a lot, it is fun to take a quiz. We all yeah. like to take a quiz. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh yeah. The quiz is a fantastic idea. And so, I mean, I, as I mentioned on my page, I had a whole, I asked a whole bunch of people, please take it, tell me what you are. Cause I find it fascinating. Yes. And so, uh, one of the things, I mean, so very briefly, my story with the four tendencies is my sister, uh, met you in New York at a book signing, got a copy signed, read it, loved it, sent me a copy. I took the quiz and I didn't like my results. <laughs> I oh. thought I was going to be a rebel. I thought I was going to be a questioner. And I came out as obliger. And uh, so actually, I put the book down for a while because I was like, oh, I don't believe this. But then when I listened to your audiobook uh, better than before, and you talked about the friend who could go to track practice but couldn't get herself to run, I was like, that's absolutely me. Mm. And I better learn more about myself through this book. So was, I'm really glad I returned to it. Mm -hmm. um, so one question I was going to ask around productivity is... Uh, like for upholders, um, like would you say obligers are the ones that struggle the most with productivity? Like does every 
every tendency have its own flavor of struggle with getting things done? Yes, you're exactly right. Each one has its its own flavor. And when you when you think about questions like which tendency is the most productive, which is the happiest, which is the most successful, what what I've seen and, and I think is obvious in the world is it's it's not that it's the tendency. It's the person who figures out how to harness the strength of their tendency and how to offset the weaknesses and limitations of their tendency to get where they want to go. So I think Everybody can get where they want to go, but they have when they take into account their tendency, then they can really do that in a much more efficient way. So you might say like, well, upholders, of course, they're going to be super productive. Well, and often they are, but upholders can often be very rigid. They can get kind of locked into an idea of how things are going to go, and that can prevent them sometimes from changing course when something else would become more efficient or when something becomes a big waste of time. So they might spin their wheels doing something that they don't even need to do because they've kind of locked into it as an idea of something that should be on their to-do list. That And there's something called tightening, which upholders have, which is when they kind of feel that the, the standards get higher and higher. And so... Exactly. Each tendency has strengths and power that can be harnessed, but then they also have kind of like the downsides that you gotta you gotta plan around in order to be your most productive self. Very cool. And I think one thing that kept popping up for me as I was reading is I used to be a teacher, and um, I kept help. I couldn't. And I have friends who have children, and I even one of my kids might be a rebel. I don't know yet. So I can't help but wonder, like, to try to get a rebel to comply <laughs> or to like do something that's even good for them. Yeah. Like, what are those ways to, to kind of get those rebels to get on board with, uh, with things? Well, I have to say, rebel is the smallest category in terms of population in the world, but it's the largest section of the book because the rebel is really the most different from the other three. I think it's the most misunderstood both by rebels themselves and by the people around rebels. And I really find it very, very... Um, it really is, is, is it's, it's very sad sometimes to see how people trying to help rebels, trying to be helpful, actually get in the way and make things worse. Um, and so if you are dealing with a rebel, it's very helpful to recognize that the person's a rebel and that that they do better when they do things their own way, their own time. The more you suggest, the more you even praise or encourage, remind, nudge, these things often will make a rebel want to resist. And so sometimes people will be like, I kept reminding my husband to do it. And yet it took six months instead of taking two weeks. I'm like, yeah, it's because you keep reminding him. Just, you know, often with the rebel, the best thing to do is to do nothing. Let them do it in their own way, in their own time, if they know. Uh, another thing that can sometimes work is an appeal to identity. You're an athlete. You're an artist. You love animals. Like, that's who I am. I want to put my music out into the world. I want to, I like, I have all these great ideas. I want to finish my PhD so that everybody knows what I have. It's, I'm doing it because I want, not because that's what you tell me. It's because who I am. Like, I want to put that in the world. Or also um, information consequences choice. This is when you tell somebody, this is the information that you need. These are the consequences of your action or inaction. And then it's up to you. You know, you can, you know, people get the surgery. Here's the physical therapy. If people do the physical therapy, they're pain-free. They get their, their, they get their freedom back. They're traveling. They're doing whatever. People who don't do their physical therapy, they have pain medication. They're dependent on others to help them do functions. They're not really traveling. You know? Yeah. Up to you. But the more you're like, hey, don't you think you should sit down and do those exercises right now? It's going to make the rebels say, yeah, I don't want to do that. You're not the boss of me. Um, and so if you understand that someone's a rebel, it's it, you can kind of be on the lookout for times that you might be kind of inciting them to rebel when you're just trying to be helpful. When I work with rebel, I work with a lot of rebels and I'm always like, 
if this works for you, if it seems fun for you, if this th- you think this would help you achieve your goals, this is something that you could consider doing. What is convenient for you? Because they always want to feel like it's their choice. But then they right. usually do it, you know, because it's what they want. If they want to succeed, they do what it takes to succeed. Very cool. And one of the things I was thinking is maybe, uh, and I love that example, like I can see how that could totally help as a teacher or a parent of a rebel or someone working with a rebel, like consequences of actions, like it's your choice. This is the likely outcome, like go for it. I think as a parent, it's probably hard to embrace that. It's like, I really want them. It's very hard because what you have to do is you have to allow negative consequences to fall. And that's very painful as a parent or like as a spouse, um, it's very hard to allow negative consequences to fall. Um, yeah. But a lot of times it's, it's like it kind of takes the emotion out of it. You're like, look, kids who study for the SAT and who write a great essay, they have lots of choices. They can go to a lot of different schools all over the world, all over the country, all over the world. People who don't have great scores, don't have great grades, don't have great uh, teacher recommendations, don't write a great essay. They got few choices. Yeah. That's the reality, you know. So just laying it out there and being like, you know, you're the one who's driving this bus. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. But it and, can be hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's hard. um so another thing that your book really helped me with is that I have a few questioners in my life. Mm-hmm. And before I read the book married one. <laughs> before I read the book, they they drove me nuts because I thought <laughs> I thought I could be working on something, right? Like working on a project or like building something or whatever. And they'd come along and just pepper me with questions. Yes. And I would think like I, first off, I thought I thought the questions meant they thought I was like stupid and I hadn't thought yes. my way through things, you know. Yes. And then it wasn't until I read the book that I'm like, oh, that's not necessarily the case here. And I have a lot more patience for them than before um, because of the book. And so uh, I think it's a fantastic way. If anyone has any questions in your life, so what are some of the top? Like you said, you're married to one, and I mean, what are what is that that flip of understanding of why a questioner is is asking? No, because you're exactly right. And this is something that questioners need to learn to do. Questioner children and questioner adults is to ask questions in ways that don't make other people feel defensive or attacked. Because often people will say things like, I feel like I'm on the witness stand or I feel like a journalist is like pepper, you know, like like interview interrogating me. Or you feel like someone is kind of indirectly criticizing your judgment. And when, they, when you're like, oh, let's go get Italian food. And they're like, why do you want Italian? You feel like they're saying, I don't really want Italian or that's a silly idea. When in fact, they're really like, why do you want Italian? They actually just want to know why. Um, and, you know, I used to think my husband was just difficult because, like, I'd ask him to do the simplest thing and he'd be like, well, why? And I just felt like he was almost doing it just to annoy me. Or, or, or I was like, why does everything have to be a conversation? Like, let's just let's just get through it. That's very appalled, right? Let's just get through the to-do list. But now I understand he's like this with me, but he's like this with everyone. All questions, you know, this very questioner thing. So if I say to him, like, pick up smoke turkey on your way home from work, he's going to be like, why should I? But if I say, oh, my daughter's going on a field trip. She needs to bring a bag lunch. Can you please pick up turkey? Then he'll do it because it's not that he's not cooperative or willing to be helpful. It's just that he's not going to do it if he doesn't understand why. And again, this comes up a lot in marriage when someone's like, we need to clean out the basement. And the other person's like, why should we clean out the basement? We never use the basement. And then, but if you say, hey, if we clean out the basement by next weekend, when, when your family comes to stay with us, the kids will have another place to play and we can get them out of the living room so we can have adult time. That makes good sense. That gives me a deadline. That gives me a rationale. Now I feel like that's worth my effort. So a lot of times that can minimize conflict and, um, and, and kind of take the sting out of the questions if you understand this is just their way of going through the world. Um, and actually, I don't know about your questioners, but they save us all a bunch of time and, and effort and money because they're the ones who are like, why are we going to do this? This makes no sense. Like, let's not do that. I'm like, 
you're right. Why are we doing that? <laughs> They're great to have around. A certain level of efficiency to someone yes. who's not just doing the status quo or just doing because they're expected. Yes, yeah, yes, sure. which obligers and upholders have a tendency to like just execute too quickly sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think one of the ones we haven't talked about much is the upholder. And uh, I find upholders, like the idea of being self-accountable fascinates me um, because I will put things in my calendar and then I will see them pop up and I will ignore them because I whatever reason, like they're usually because there's no external accountability. So, um, so one of the, actually it's kind of funny. One of the, um, one of the, one of my friends asked, they said, she, 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 it's been a while since she read the book, but she said, um, I felt like there weren't as many challenges with upholders. And she said, is this potentially a bias because you're an upholder and you wrote the book and it's like, we're just easy to do everything. Or are there challenges there that maybe, um, people might be unaware of of working with someone who just seems to meet all these expectations. Well, I am an upholder. That's for, and, 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 and an upholder, I always talk about upholder first. That certainly is my bias. Um, but I will say that there are, there are limitations and downsides uh, of being an upholder or working or, or living with an upholder, of course. Um, but they tend, because they do tend to be accountable to others and accountable to themselves. They, they do, there are certain kinds of challenges that come pretty easily to upholders. But of course, that itself becomes a challenge because one of the things that you often see with upholders is they beca- can become very judgmental. Um, they don't have a lot of understanding about why other people need different kinds of systems. They don't want to answer your questions. They don't want to give you outer accountability. Like I, I remember before I understood the four tendencies, I would find myself saying things like, well, I don't want to be your babysitter. Do it, do it your own way. I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. That's not helpful to people. You know, that's not so. Um, and if you get a bunch of upholders together, and I've seen this happen, the, they all they start, they just start leaning in and being like, why can't other people get their stuff done? Right. There is this element of kind of um, judgmentalness to it. And there can be kind of a coldness to it. It doesn't seem cold to upholders, um, because I, which I understand because I'm inside this perspective. But to the others, it can seem cold because it's like, okay, you've, we both have our reports due on Friday. And so you say to me, hey, Gretchen, would you take some time and proofread my report before I hand it in? And I say, sorry, no, I don't have time for you. My reports do too, and I need my time to work on my own report. Now, to an upholder, that seems appropriate because inner expectations must be met. But to other tendencies, that can seem pretty cold um, and not very cooperative. Um, and as I said, they can, they can become rigid and they can have tightening, which is when the rules get tighter and tighter and tighter on them, um, which is really something that is really a problem for upholders themselves. It can be kind of choking. You kind of drown in your own bureaucracy, something that upholders have to watch out for. Got it. Yeah, no, definitely when I was reading the book and you mentioned you were at a friend's house and they said, all right, everyone, I have to be in bed in half an hour. You all have to leave. And you were like, that seems fine to me. Like, yeah. why wouldn't she say that? And I'm like, as an obliger, I'm like, what? Like, if everyone's having fun, I can't kick them out. Like, See, isn't that fun. funny? I mean, that's what's fascinating to me is like, I would think nothing of that. And to you, it's like shocking. You know where you see this come up is in the office kitchen. If you, you know, none of us are in an office right now. But if you go into an office kitchen, you see the signs that everybody's like handwritten up there. You see the four tendencies in action because the obligers are like, who are these people that cannot just be decent human beings and unload a dishwasher? And the questioner's like, why would I unload a dishwasher? And the upholder's like, that's not my job. And the rebel's like, I don't feel like, you know I mean, you can see it all playing out. So it is really funny how we all think that everybody sees the world we, the way we do and they don't. It's, it's kind of hard to grasp. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, 
That's funny. So one of the things I wanted to ask, um, because one of, I mean, my main, the thing I do most of my day is I'm a financial planner. And I have, like, as I was reading the book this last time, it dawned on me, like, sometimes, like, recently I had a meeting with a couple. And I said, you know, we had gone through this whole planning thing. And I said, you know, this is what you've said you want. This is where you are. These are the things you have to do to make this happen. And the wife said, let's do it. And the husband said, well, 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 let's wait a second here. Like, let's give this some more thought. And at the time, I wasn't really thinking tendency wise. But my hunch is, is that she may have been an applied or an upholder and he may have been more of a questioner or a rebel. And they've got the dynamic there of her just saying we have to do that. And there's other factors too. Yeah. But I guess like just to try to do sort of a, a, a blanket exercise of each uh, tendency, like if I were to sit down with someone and try to try to um, encourage them to save more money, let's just say, for a future goal that they've identified. Like, how might I do that for different tendencies? I I'd be very curious to know that. So for the upholder, what you would want to do is really articulate what the expectations are and, and, you know, and why that makes sense. So what does that look like? If you're going to save, you can't just say, like, start saving more. It's like, okay, let's come up with, let's make a plan let's write it down, let's think this through, and let's make an execution plan, and then they will probably go off and do that. A questioner, like you say, wait, let's pause, let's think this over. It's going to be much more questions. Were you saying we should save X, X amount? Why X? Why not, why not double X? Why not half of X? Um, you know, so with a questioner, you really want to go through why? Why does this make sense? Let's think about compound interest. Let's think about, you know, you know, value over time. Let's look at historical precedents. Let me tell you about, you know, other case studies that I've seen. What are my credentials? Why am I listening to you? That's always a questioner's question. So they would need to believe that you're an authority that's worth trusting. Oh, my spouse dragged me in here. I don't know who you are. Why am I listening to you? So you, you've got to be the trusted authority. You've got to have reasons, rationale, justification. And again, like if you're with a couple, one person might, they might be rolling their eyes like, oh my God, this is so boring. Whereas the other person really needs that support. So sometimes what you want to do is you want to create a situation where one person can get their questions answered and the other person can kind of escape because it can become very tiresome for people to, to sit through questioners, really like, you know, uh, insatiable appetite. But for them, you would really want to have I have more information. I have more data. If you want to look it up, I'm always here to answer your questions and, and not to be then defensive. If they keep asking you questions, that might not mean that they don't trust your authority. You just want to understand why the more they understand why the better they're going to do on execution, because once they buy into your plan, they will execute fine. Obligers are going to want to have outer accountability and you probably would want multiple forms of outer accountability because different obligers are susceptible to different kinds. The more kinds you have, the better it is. So you might have, uh, like specific accountability, like I'm going to check in with you guys in six months and we're going to see where you are. Uh, there might be things like, uh, you know, you need to meet these milestones. And so if you meet these milestones, then like certain kinds of things happen or don't happen. Like, oh, if you meet this thing, then I think you guys are clear to take a week's vacation and rent that little house, uh, which is going to be tremendous fun for your whole family. Everyone's going to be disappointed if you don't do that. So you need to hit the savings. Sometimes obligers will even like invoke their whole family. Like, let's put a picture of that house on the fridge and everybody in the family is like, hey, we're going to go there if we can. But if we can't, we're going to be really disappointed. And it's kind of on our parents because like, why didn't you guys do it? Um, and another thing is to think about your duty to other people. So I want to be the kind of parent who can, I want to have the savings so that if we have an emergency or my child has special needs or uh, a, a family member needs a hand, like I want to have that. I need to be there. It's the whole oxygen mass first. Um, I do think for obligers, people like financial planners, executive coaches, fitness coaches, all these super helpful because what do they do? They give accountability. So I think it's a great 
it's a great investment for obligers because having those accountability systems um, really allows them to meet their aims. So it's a really good use of their time and their money if they can afford it. And then with a the rebel, so you the person said like, hey, wait a minute, because you said something that got my ears perked up, which is this is what you have to do. I'm a rebel and you're telling me this is what I have to do. I'm like, hey, man, you can't tell me I have to do anything. I don't have to do anything, right? So it's like, if you want to meet these goals, these are some ways you could do it. This is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Um, these are some choices. You can pick the ones that work for you. Choice, opportunity, freedom. Uh, if you had this, then you could travel the world. If you could do this, you could retire early. The, you could move anywhere in the country. You could have a summer home. You could send your kid to any college. Freedom, opportunity, choice. And one thing that can often work uh, for rebels, rebels themselves when they're trying to get themselves to do something that somebody else wants them to do, but you could maybe do, use it with a client, is the idea, I'm not telling you what to do, client. I work for you. I'm here because you want me to work for you. I'm here to help you achieve your goal. Your goal is financial stability and freedom. You're telling me what to do. Oh, you want me to write this list? I will write this list. So you are the boss of me. I am not the boss of you. And sometimes rebels will do this when they need to like do paperwork or something. They're like, okay, this person's telling me what to do, but really I'm telling them what to do. That can, for some rebels, that doesn't work because it's still that spirit of resistance. But for some rebels, that can help them kind of get over that hurdle. And for some rebels, it's really just like, very, stay very focused. This is what I want. What do I want? I want financial freedom and stability and security. What do I want? That's what I want. This is on this list. That's what I want. And to stay focused because they can do anything they want to do. But you want to be careful of using language that might activate that resistance because then it just kind of slows them down. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's amazing. That's an amazing like rainbow of <laughs> ways to approach different but uh, It's hard because people are like, well, I want to have one message that works for everybody, but it's hard because people really have different buttons to push. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's funny because as you're, as you're saying, all the things for an obliger, I as an obliger, I'm sitting here and just thinking that would work so well for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it well, is, yeah. Well, the thing is, you, as you know, it's the biggest tendency for both men and women. It's right. the biggest tendency. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life. I think it's great that you're an obliger because probably most of the people coming to you are obligers. And so you get what will work for them because you feel it in your own heart. You know, so you're like, these things would work. So then you're like, oh, well, I think these things might work for you too. Yeah, and it's funny because I also wrote a productivity journal called the Squirrel Journal Journal for Distracted Entrepreneurs. And as I was reading the book, I realized that because you're talking about all the different ways an obliger can create external accountability. And I realized that my journal is basically a love letter to obligers because I just have <laughs> lists of ways to create external accountability but, for people who need that. <laughs> but in a way, that's great because now you can say to obligers, hey, I hear you. I've created a product especially for you. Now, accountability can work for just about anybody. So as an upholder, I like accountability. Questioners can use accountability. So it's not like it only works for obligers, but for obligers, it is the, the crucial tool. And a lot of times there's creative, interesting ways to create outer accountability that maybe an individual hasn't thought of. And so something like you, where you've really studied it and created a resource that has like pages of menu items, well, that's very attractive to an obliger because they probably have like 15 different things they want to create outer accountability for that takes thought and, and preparation and work. That's not so easy. It's easy to see what you need to do, but having a resource with lots of ideas about how to do that, that could save you a lot of time and energy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, there's so many options once you start looking at them. Yes. And one of the questions that I got um, was people were asking, can your tendency change when your environment changes? And people were saying, can I be one thing at home and a different mm. thing at work? And I was curious as to what you had to say about that. So I'm a big believer in the genetic roots of personality. And I think that the four tendencies is hardwired. So I think this is something you bring into the world with you. It's not a, pro, it's not a function of, of, of culture or religion or birth order. Um, of course, your circumstance is going to affect how it comes out. Because if you're a questioner in North Korea, you're not going to like let that shine. Um, uh, if you're in Silicon Valley, it could be your greatest asset. Um, so I don't think you're one at 20 and one at 40. I don't think you're one at work and one at home. But often people say that to me. And then I'm like, okay, but let's just think about this. At work, you have a team, you have a boss, you have deliverables, you have accountability as far as the eye can see. When you get home, nobody's checking on you to see if you exercise. No one's asking you what you ate. You know, you don't weigh yourself. You don't, nobody's tracking how much reading you do in a day. There's no accountability. So it's not that you're one at work and one at home. It's that the circumstances at work are helping you to get the accountability that you need. And the circumstances at home are not. So the lesson is, how do I get myself out of accountability for the things at home? This can be a problem kind of in work because sometimes people, like you mentioned entrepreneurs, sometimes people will be very effective at work and then they want to go start working for themselves or like, I'm a writer. A lot of times people will be working for like, uh, you know, like a newspaper or magazine or something where they have deadlines and an editor and all that. Then they go on book leave and they're like, I have writer's block. I'm like, you don't have writer's block. You have obliger problems. Um, so I think sometimes people don't understand why, or sometimes they think it's like social. I need the social aspect of a class. I'm like, but, but, but I'm an introvert. I don't want to take a class. It's like, it's not the social aspect. It's the accountability. You can have accountability by social or you can have accountability in other ways too. You don't need to take a class if a class doesn't suit your nature otherwise. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about that whole introvert versus extrovert. Like, is it because I like the social aspect? And I remember that from your book where it's like, you've got someone working for a newspaper, hitting deadlines galore. As soon as they're given the opportunity to write their own book and they have no, they, they don't have these external deadlines, it's difficult. Or when people go to retire yes. and they think, oh, I'm finally going to be able to explore all those things I want to explore. And all of a sudden they're not doing anything that they wanted to. No, no, no. And you raise a really excellent point, which a lot of obligers get wrong, which is they think, well, they think I'm meeting others before myself. It's a matter of priorities. I'm putting other people in before myself. So I need to learn to put myself first or I need to like prioritize myself. That's not, and so they, they also think, well, if I retire, all those outer expectations will go away and I'll meet my inner expectations. Or if I quit my demanding job, then I'll have more time to do my things for myself. But it doesn't work like that. Inner expectations don't get met just because outer expectations go away. That, has, that does not work. And so many obligers take action, sometimes dramatic action, to remove outer expectations in the hopes that they'll meet inner expectations. It doesn't work because what they need is outer accountability. Well, it's interesting because the other day I said, I woke up and I said, okay, today I'm going to spend at least a couple hours on the back porch reading a book because I'm reading the Harry Potter series for the oh. first time. And it reminded me of the, uh, you said this, the expectations or um, the tendencies are kind of like a muggle sorting hat, which yes, I love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to get back on the back deck. I'm going to read a book. It's going to be amazing. 
And I literally, I think I spent about 15 minutes back there before something popped up and I had to take care of something else and something else. I think it was about six hours later. I joked like, where was I? I was like, oh yeah, I was reading a book on the back porch. And I think I read like 10 more minutes and then I was done. And it's like, I can't force myself to like, just sit around and read a book necessarily. (laughs) Like well, you need to create outer accountability Um, because, and people do it. And also like something, some people, maybe like if your kids have to read for school, you're like, you're reading for school and I have to read. And if I'm not reading, you don't have to read. And then you're kids will be your policeman. I love this story of two sisters-in-law wanted to get back into yoga. So it's like, if you do yoga for 30 days, I get a massage. If I do yoga for 30 days, you get a massage. So I would, I would skip my own massage, but I'm not going to let you down. Yeah, no, that's really neat. And I've definitely used that. I mean, even in high school, I remember um, I wasn't doing very well at school and I had these free periods. And during the free periods, I would just wander around. I would nothing productive. And I actually asked my homeroom teacher, can you find a teacher that will make me sit in their room and do homework during this free period? Brilliant. And did they do that? Yeah. Yeah. And they said, I've never had a student ask this before, but yeah, we can make that work. (laughs) But see, a school could offer that. You know, because what about upholder me if I was like, hey, listen, if you want to do it, you don't need a teacher. You can go into that room yourself. But you knew yourself well enough. You needed a teacher there. That's tremendous self-knowledge, insight. You just didn't have a vocabulary for it. But actually, maybe the school says, like, if you want a self-study hall, we will put a teacher in there and we will we will watch you because a lot of people would opt into that. I think that's a brilliant insight. Yeah, for sure. And, and I never, ever even thought of it. And I mean, I have done little things along the way. Like I wanted to write a movie script. So I joined a boot camp, uh, like when I was in my twenties and like, I mean, lots of things in my life. And I mean, when I first took the quiz, I thought I was going to be a rebel because when I was 21, I moved to a Venezuela and I didn't speak the language very well. And I didn't know anyone. I was like, that's such a rebel thing. But when I look back at it, it was not necess- that wasn't necessarily what was driving it. Um, but, um, yeah. And, and, and the other thing I was going to say is, um, when I want to learn something, I will schedule a talk where I'm going to present the topic. <laughs> yes. And then I don't want to show up looking like an idiot or let these people down. And so I figure it out before. People, this is a great thing. You teach a class, you write it, you, you, you sell an ebook, um, you get clients, you, you sell something before it's ready and then you have to do it. That is a great obliger. Like to me as an upholder, I'm like, how could you possibly do that? Oh my gosh. Like you're so extended. Like that's so dangerous. But to an obliger, it's smart. It's smart to do that. You commit and then you have to meet the commitment. Brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I'm glad I've come up with good ideas. But see, um, this is a good example of how, I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, Bliger, like how can they get where they want to go? You figured it out. Even if you, before you had a vocabulary for it, you had figured out the patterns and you would set yourself up for success. You know, but now, but once you have a vocabulary for it, it can be a lot more efficient. Because you can just be like, this will work for me. This won't work for me. This will, this won't. You just, you don't, you don't have to experiment as much. Yeah, no, it definitely speeds things up a lot when it's just totally external accountability. And so I mentioned this to someone the other day, uh, my meditation coach, actually. And she had an interesting question. She said, Galen, is it, and she is, and I really wanted to ask you this. She said, is there something about you not being able to hold yourself accountable? Is there something about you not taking your promises to yourself seriously? And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) I I mean, I have to say, I really um, wish people would get away from this understanding of what's going on. Um, Because I think it makes obligers very discouraged. 
because they keep trying to work on things like their self-esteem and their priorities and their motivation. It doesn't work. So they get very discouraged. It also kind of has this idea of like, I don't value myself or my self-esteem isn't what it's supposed to be. Or like, there's sort of like this kind of negative thing to it where I, I just, don't, you know, this whole thing, like I can keep my promises to other people and I can't keep my promises to myself. To me, that is a factual statement. Like we don't have to put onto it judgment. Now, but upholders and questioners and rebels, see, they see the world in a different way. And so when they see an obliger not doing it, they do see, a, it's very unsettling to them because they're like, why aren't you meeting your expectations for yourself? But I really don't think that that's the way to understand it. It's not a, man, it's not a man, matter of self-care or priority or, or, or keeping promises or integrity or motivation. And working on that side of things doesn't help. Um, so I would say, I bet your meditation coach is not an obliger. Um, I think it's interesting that you have a meditation coach because that is very obliger. Uh, I bet a lot of that meditation coaches, uh, clients are obligers. And I bet this focus on keeping promises to yourself doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Well, it was interesting doing, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, as I was reading the book again, I was like, yeah, it doesn't really resonate in the sense that I could either try to fight the tendency or I could just make the most of it. Yes. And, yeah. Quick, easy, done versus like, I mean, can you change yourself? Like, I, who knows? It's like, it sounds hard if, if even possible. And then there's the quick, direct route to getting where you want to go. I'm like, I don't need, to me, it's not even worth like puzzling over whether it's possible. It's certainly not easier it certainly would take a lot longer. I don't think it would even ever work. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it would. And I mean, I, I think it brings up a, a, de a decent enough question around if if that is then the accountability structure, then how do I find a way to keep promises to myself by making them external or something? There's still a way to kind of like take that knowledge. And I, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like I, I, I was meditating for an hour at a time with the coach, but alone I can meditate for about five minutes on average probably <laughs> because it's so much easier to do with the coach. Right. Um, yeah, but see, sure. that's what you feel like as an obliger. But yeah. a rebel would feel just the opposite. They'd be like, oh my gosh, the minute there's a coach there, I just like want to get up and leave. But when I'm doing it on my own, like I can sit there for an hour. Yeah. And one of the things like, I know I'm talking a lot about obligers because of course that's my own bias. But it is the biggest tendency. So it's always <laughs> worth it to talk about obligers. Yeah. yeah. And to understand us a little bit yeah. better. And yeah. so before we hit, I was, I was, uh, before we hit uh, record, I was, uh, we talked a little bit about Game of Thrones and yes. uh, different personalities. So I was curious, you started mentioning different characters and what sorts of tendencies they were. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, we were talking about obligers because a lot of the biggest, um, biggest characters, most dramatic and interesting characters on the show are obligers. So uh, Jon Snow, for sure. You pointed out Ned Stark, which I'd kind of forgotten about Ned Stark, I have to say, but Ned Stark, absolutely an obliger. Um, uh, Daenerys Targaryen is an obliger. A lot of people think that she's a rebel, but she's not a rebel. She's an obliger. That's quite clear. What's interesting, too, is that if you look at the rebels on the show, the, the most prominent rebels are Arya Stark and Cersei Lannister. And as I said to you, Tywin himself said to Arya, you remind me of my daughter. They're, in many ways, they're very much alike, although they go in such different paths. Now, interesting about the tendencies, when one person in a pair is a rebel, whether it's a romantic couple or like a work team, if one person is a rebel, the other is almost always an obliger. And what do we see? Cersei Lannister is a, is a rebel. Jaime Lannister, her brother and her lover, is an obliger. So Jon Snow, Jamie Lannister, Ned Stark, Daenerys Targaryen, all obligers. 
uh, upholders. Interesting. Brienne of Tarth is an obliger and so is Stannis Baratheon. And I would say Stannis is like a negative upholder in that he's very, he seems like he doesn't even want what he wants. He just feels like he has to. It's like, I'm supposed to be king. Those are the rules. I have to do what I have to do. And it's interesting that those two face off. What is the last thing that Stannis says to Brienne, both upholders? He says, go ahead, do your duty. A very upholder thing to say. Questioner, who is the biggest questioner in the show? Tyrion. Tyrion is the one walking around being like, why is it like this? Why can't it be better? Same thing with Varys and their best friends, right? They're like, isn't there a better way? Can't we set things up more efficiently so people aren't so downtrodden all the time? Um, he's like, stone, you know, the the drowned god, the what what is the name of the, all the people on the islands? You know, uh, they the have Iron a, Islands, yeah. yeah, the, the, yeah um, they, the Iron Islands have a different way of choosing a leader. We could try that. We could experiment. Um and so, so I think the thing that's fun about the part tendencies is once you know them, you see them everywhere. You see them in Harry Potter. You see them in a, the It's a Wonderful Life movie, which is all about an obliger having obliger rebellion. I mean, they're not subtle. They're quite obvious. And so if you are a teacher or a doctor or a financial planner, when you work with clients and stuff, you start to be, it starts to become really obvious to you pretty quickly what people are um in a way that's helpful because then you can kind of adjust so that you can work with them more efficiently hell i loved what you had to say about hermione in uh harry potter because you're like upholders like what did you have to say i can't remember exactly how you said it with um hermione being an upholder right yeah she's ab she's just like classic upholder but it's interesting because people are often trying to match the houses of hogwarts to the four tendencies um but you can't and and the way i can show you can't is hermione fred and george because they're all tr obviously Gryffindor, but they are obviously not the same tendency. Um, so the houses of Hogwarts are like looking at different aspects of your nature than the four tendencies are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think and Harry is an obliger, yeah. for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes people think obligers aren't like a heroic thing. It's totally right. Sorry, my phone is ringing. I can't okay. make it stop. <laughs> so um, one of the last things I'll maybe mention is, uh, and I um, in the book you talk about how the tendencies overlap with other tendencies. Like they kind of have, um, uh, they kind of have tendencies that are neighbor tendencies that they yes. can kind of borrow from. So there's like another level of, of understanding. And I mean, one thing you said that I find very fascinating is rebels almost always end up with obligers. Yes. Are there other commonalities between pairings of, um, like my wife's an obliger, for example, or two obligers, you know, yeah. I'm curious as to what sort of pairings there might end up with um, tendencies. Well, I have to say many of the happiest married couples that I know are both obligers. Um, sometimes they can kind of like be a little bit having trouble self-starting, like, let's eat healthier. Do you want to go out for ice cream? Yes. You know what I mean? Whereas an upholder is like, what are you talking about? We made a rule. Um, but it is, that can be a very like, but obliger really is the type O appropriately. They are the ones that match up the most easily with the other three tendencies, which is great because they're the biggest tendencies. So there's a lot of obligers around. Um, there's a lot of things that make people team up well or not well the tendency is just one thing um but i would say when you see a rebel you usually see an obliger but in a, but a team that tends to not work very well or to have a lot of conflict or difficulty is uphold a rebel because they just see the world in a very different way the way they like to work is very different rebels put a lot of value on spontaneity um doing what feels right when it feels right like think you know being open to big change and these are strengths too Upholders, very focused on execution, planning, uh, you know, long, tend to be very long range, tend to really love a plan. Like, I don't like spontaneity. I don't value spontaneity at all. 
Um, there's strengths in that too. It's just that they're they're like incompatible. If one person likes spontaneity and one person's likes planning, it's like it's very, it just becomes frustrating. Um, questioners sometimes also have trouble with rebels because they're like, I don't, I need to know why you're telling me to do this. And rebels are like, I don't want to explain why. It's just like this is what I want to do. And so if you have like a questioner working for a rebel. That can be really uh, frustrating for the questioner because they're going to they're gonna be like, I don't understand. Like you say, this is the mission of the company. I don't. Why, why is that the mission of the company? Um, yeah, but you're right. Each of the tendencies kind of tips in one direction or the other because it overlaps. So you're an obliger and obliger overlaps with my tendency of holder because we both readily meet outer expectations. So we share that deep affinity there. But obligers also have a deep affinity with rebels because they both resist inner expectations. So there's a deep affinity between obligers and rebels. And so an obliger who tips to upholder is going to be a little bit different from an obliger who tips to rebel. It kind of flavors your tendency. You're still solidly within that tendency, but kind of takes on a different, a different flavor depending which way you lean. Yeah, and it's funny because um, I... Uh teaching uh i was talking to a parent saying your child's probably you know a rebel as far as i can tell like very much like when all the kids are doing the craft they're off doing their own thing or if they do the craft they have to do it a different way like yeah. they're not going to do it the way that it looks on the sample or whatever yeah and i said you know i said well the world needs rebels i was like the world needs these these rebels and i said because at the beginning i just found it kind of frustrating like why can't you just do yeah. what we're asking you to do yes, yes, <laughs> but yes. then as i started to really sort of see just yeah exactly that the world needs lots of different kinds of people and at the end of the day this rebel is likely going to challenge things that I'm not challenging that need to be challenged. And yes. at the end of the day, though, I was like, you know, it doesn't make it any easier to be a parent necessarily but right. when you're trying to get a rebel to do something. But I found that pretty interesting. Well, I think that's a really good point in like creating teams, because I think when you hire people, you tend to hire people who think the way you do, because that's just what seems natural. It seems easy. Um, but if you have a team of people and they're all one tendency, you see how they would be really good in some ways, but they would have huge weaknesses and blind spots. Um, and so I think it's really something that's worth keeping in mind because you kind of need the person who's going to say, let's do something completely different. Let's totally think outside the box. Let's ignore them. Like, oh, yeah, they're telling us what to do. We can just blow that off. There's value in that, um, even if sometimes it can be frustrating. Everybody's frustrated with everybody some of the time. Um, but I think you're right. We, they all have strengths that we need to draw from um, if we want to get the benefit of all those different perspectives. Yeah, definitely. And I think just like you said, we tend to work or look for people who kind of think the way we do and like yes. act the way we do. And in fact, the variety is in all likelihood going to be more um, pro, you know, better, better suited. And it's kind of funny because I didn't understand this until I read the book, but my, I took the quiz, I'm an obliger, and my wife took the quiz and she's an obliger. And she said, yeah, it definitely fits. But she did say to me, she said, well, I don't see how you're an obliger because you'll tell me you'll do something and you don't do it. And when I read the book, I was like, oh, like there's a part where you talk about it's almost like the family unit yes. can be like the inner expectation. Yes. And so it's like, oh, you're my family. You're part yeah. of my I'm not going to meet the expectation. Yes. crowd. <laughs> Someone yes. else has to. <laughs> yes. And that can be frustrating. Like I remember talking to this woman. And she was like she was so hurt because she'd been saying to her husband for years, like you need to like go to the doctor. You need to get in shape. You need to lose weight like you're in terrible health. I'm so worried about you. And he just did nothing. Then one day his boss just walks in and is like, Larry, what's your problem? Lose some weight, exercise, get yourself to the doctor. We've got a big year coming up. I don't have time for this. And the guy went off and like started everything. And she was so hurt because she's like, he doesn't care what I think. He ignores me. I matter nothing to him. I'm like, no, you're so close to him. You're like himself. It's like himself telling him what to do. He ignores you just the way you would ignore himself. It's a sign of intimacy, not a sign of disregard. And so it's right. But then sometimes it's like, Let's save money. Like, it's like, okay, we need somebody from the outside to tell us that because when we're just telling each other that, it's inner. 
and it just kind of doesn't work, we need the outer accountability. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And that was something I didn't understand until I read the book. Cause I was like, no, I mean, I, and my wife is just, she just bluntly said it. She's like, nah, you'll, you'll tell me you'll do something and you won't do it. <laughs> like, so I don't think you're in a blind. Right. <laughs> I was like, no, we're just really close. So it's a good yeah. sign. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sign of close marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I'll chalk it up to that. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've learned a ton. I can't wait to, to watch the replay and get it out there. Um, before I end, just want to make sure I get that link out there to everyone again. So it's yes. quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Yes. Quiz. Perfect. Or just to, if you just Google, Google. quiz Gretchen yeah, Rubin, yeah. it'll pop up. Yeah. But Not it's a lot of short others. and free. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. Um, honored you on my podcast for sure. Oh, it's so fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Awesome. Well, take care. Have fun on what looks like a beautiful day in uh, New York. Yes, indeed. Take care. All right. You too. Hey there, thank you so much for having listened to this episode. I'm honored that you took time out of your busy day to listen to this, or maybe you're multitasking like I do when I'm driving or doing yard work and listening to podcasts. So I hope you got a lot out of it. As always, feel free to check out the free financial literacy challenge for Canadian physicians that I have put together. You can hop on over to galenhelpsdocs.com to check that out. G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. And if you've already taken it, be sure to fill out the form at the end so you can claim your free prize. That's a place where I cover a lot of the misconceptions around financial planning for Canadian physicians, and then also cover a lot of the top topics and questions I get asked behind closed doors by doctors who want to understand more what they should be doing for retirement and how to manage their corporation. So perfect. Feel free to check that out. Again, thank you so much for having joined me and take care.